Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Broke Down Podcast. My name is Jonathan, this is episode number 49, and I'm really glad you're here with me this time. The Broke Down Podcast is part of the Osiris Network. Osiris connects you with podcasts, videos, and live experiences about the artists and topics that you love. Visit OsirisPod.com to check out our shows. Osiris works in partnership with Jambase, which connects music fans with the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. So check them out at Jambase.com. Okay, we got some news. Real quick, Dave's Picks 31 is out. It is not in my hands yet. Mine is still out there somewhere in the Postal Universe. I know some people have started to receive theirs. Uh, it is from the Uptown Theater, Chicago, Illinois, December 3rd, 1979. A fine, fine show, as they say. Once I get mine, I have a few listens. We'll talk about it next episode. Also next episode, we will look back at the meetup at the movies. Giant Stadium 91 will be showing in theaters all over the country and beyond. I know they're having it in Canada this time on August 1st, which of course hasn't happened yet. But once that's gone down and we've seen it and got some opinions from other folks, uh, we know it's a good show. So I'm looking forward to seeing the video. I hope you are. And we will talk about that next time as well. Bill Vitt passed away. Bill Vitt, as you may know, was the drummer for the Garcia Saunders band in the early 70s. He met Jerry when he sat in with Howard Wales, uh, for whom Bill was playing at the time, and thus he appeared on the Garcia Wales record, Hooterall. And when Jerry was looking to put together another band, he landed on John Kahn, Bill Vitt, and Bill called up this keyboard player that he'd worked with before, Merle Saunders. And the rest, as they say, is history. The band was so good, they could really lay into a groove. I think it was Bill who said that part of the reason, I'm paraphrasing here, that everything was so fresh is because they were strategically under-rehearsed. Basically, they wanted it all to just feel new, and so they'd get out there and tear into the songs. And you can hear that on the tapes, on the records. There's a lot, a lot of this material out there. And it's uh, it's well worth all of your time. So Vitt was in a number of other groups and he was in and out of the business altogether. At times he ran a winery in Northern California and, and he played in a group called Keystone Revisited with Merle's son Tony a few years back. His uh, contributions to the catalog are much loved and we send our condolences to his family and friends. But let's celebrate his work a with a little music, shall we? Check it out.
right, that was Mystery Train from January 25th, 1973 at the Boarding House in San Francisco, California. Mystery Train was written by Junior Parker, first recorded by him, but it was a big hit for Elvis in 1955. This was a B-side to the song I Forgot to Remember to Forget. Ironically, I can't remember how that one goes. Anyways, fare thee well, Bill. Last member of that great Garcia Saunders group to cross over. So our guest this week is a drummer, Ryan Jewell. Avid and attentive listeners will remember Ryan played on the first 111 Heavy record. He's played with Elkhorn, Chris Forsyth, Garcia Peoples, and someone else you should be familiar with, Riley Walker. But that's just a little bit of a long list of collaborators, both live and on record. Just this past weekend, Ryan played drums for Chris Forsyth at a show that featured Garcia Peoples, both on the bill and as uh, Forsyth's band. Also on that bill, Direwolves. So that's a hell of a show. Reports are very good. I'm really sorry I missed it. Ryan recently released Vibration by the Ryan Jewel Quintet. That's Vibration with an exclamation point. It's a jazz record that's well worth a spin. And he's about to release TV Sun under the banner Mosses, which is an outstanding psych record. And I'm excited to share a bit of both with you in just a little bit. Before we get to the interview, I would like to remind you that you can find me on Twitter at BrokeDownPod and by the same handle on Instagram. Also, uh, we're on Facebook, Brokedown Podcast, and of course we have the website, BrokedownPodcast.blogspot.com. Please check out all those things. You can find the show notes, track listings, and links to all the stuff we're talking about over there. And um, yeah, that's enough of that. All right, so let's get into this conversation with Ryan and see you on the other side. I'm excited to have you on here. Thank you for taking the time. I don't really know how you have the time. <laughs> I've been uh, just in general knowledge, you know, aware of your work and then digging into it in advance of this conversation, just looking at like all the groups you play with and I won't even begin to list them. Uh, well, I might begin, but I won't even pretend to list them all. But I mean, you've played with, I mean, your name's come up with a, a bunch on this show uh, of whom we, we've covered 111 Heavy, played on their record, first record. Uh, we played with Chris Forsyth and Elkhorn. And I know you've also uh, done some work with, uh, at least live work with the Garcia Peoples. And uh, I saw something on your website about Matt Valentine, again, also a guest previously on this show. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that at some point. All that, and you're also on the new Chris Gantry record, which is out like next week, this week? Yeah, Uh, this Friday. I don't know when this will air or whatever. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, uh, here in late late July. And and of (laughs) course, you've been working with Riley Walker extensively over the past several years on his records and touring with him. When do you find time to even breathe? <laughs> well, you have to breathe. That's, it's important. Yeah, it's important. Oh, I guess you don't have to, but you should. It's good for your health. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, I've, I just, you know, I love music. And um, yeah, I don't know. I guess Google Calendar kind of keeps me straight. <laughs> and I, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I, and I've always 
I, I've never been in one band, even when I was, you know, like a teenager. I would always kind of like be interested in one thing and then be kind of working on another thing. And so, yeah, it just keeps it interesting for me to do, you know, a lot of different, a lot of different stuff. I mean, a lot of that's kind of does kind of, I mean, there are similarities. They're not, you know, I'm not, I don't play any metal bands right now, although I've done some of that too. You know what I mean? But yeah. Well, let's get into that. Uh, let's get into the, uh, when, when did you start playing? Um, it was like the summer, the summer before ninth grade, whatever it is, the summer before high school kind of thing. Okay. So it's like, uh, what is that, 13 years old, somewhere around there? Yeah, that sounds about know. right. Ball, ballpark around there. Well, yeah. and just uh, got a drum kit, or you didn't start on bongos, did you? No, but I was interested in that pretty early. Yeah, <laughs> I, um, I actually I started playing drums because I thought, because <laughs> I thought it seemed easy, or it, ah. looked, it looked easier. I was like, oh, I don't have to learn chords. I don't have to learn all these scales. I don't have to like, you know, I can just hit stuff. That seems easy. And then I got into it, and it was, you know. Um, I was kind of fascinated by the, the coordination too, and that's kind of where, yeah, early on, that's I was kind of more interested in that, and then the the, the sound, and yeah, so I kind of started off on drums, but then yeah, o- over the years expanded into some other things too, but not nearly as I've spent a lot more time drumming than I have anything else. There's a kind of more just a growth. Did you play in school, like in band, or were you strictly you know playing the kit, forming rock bands, or what have you? Yeah, it was it was both. It was uh, okay. although the yeah the it, I was I kind of started out self taught for the most part, um, and I was in the band, but it wasn't you know it was a small town in southern Ohio. It wasn't like you know it was underfunded and it wasn't the most amazing quality of band, but it was it was still just an excuse for me to be around instruments all the time. Um, so yeah, so I did, I did that and I would, I remember like on study halls, I would like, <laughs> I would, uh, uh, you know, I, I would, I would ask if I could leave and go to the band room and I would go down and just, you know, practice on, I would play weird timpani things or like just sit with a gong, you know, have these like gong bath. I was, I was a weird kid <laughs> in high, I mean, I still, still am kind of a weird, weird kid growing up, but, um, yeah, so I was just interested in sound and, and really like. To, you know, this is a Grateful Dead podcast, but like I read the Mickey Hart uh, Drumming at the Edge of Magic book, oh, right. and right around that time I started playing music. So that was really like it kind of put things in the perspective. It, it gave me an a, a kind of a I don't know if lineage is quite like the, quite the right word, but like a, a context that was exciting to me. That sort of this like um, that music isn't just something for, I mean, it's, it's fun, but there can be this, you know, a, um, it can be a community building thing. It can be a spiritual thing. It can be art. It can be, you know, it can be just a party or it can be the, the most deep meditation. It can, you know, it can be, music can be so many things and, and drumming for me at that point, that was the, you know, the thing too. So I would just sit and, you know, just kind of try to lose myself in listening to drumming and you know um, yeah so that that was a big part of kind of my you know what inspired me to uh, play a lot in high school and practice a lot I would just kind of sit alone in my room and play sit down at the drum set and just play for an hour or two or and then when I got more disciplined about it I would 
yeah, we kind of have practice, you know, a, a structured practice that I would do in addition to just sitting and improvising for long periods of time. So you you learned rudiments and started working with those in addition to jamming out and just kind of stretching. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It sounds uh, a lot like when I was a beginning guitar player and I would spend some time trying to play a song and then I would just plug in the two pedals I have and turn all the knobs and just work on making just the most out noise I could just to, just to feel what that would be like. Right. Um, I didn't really achieve much with it, but I had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you uh, achieve fun, then that's part, of, that's part of it. I mean, that's like you did achieve something. <laughs> it, it, it certainly satisfied a short-term goal, which is right. uh, keeping me happy and, and, and alive uh, for the day. Um, right. <laughs> which is which is pretty good pretty good goal, I think. Yeah. Well, how did you come across the Mickey Hart book? Were you listening to The Dead already? Who else were you listening to at that time? Yeah, so that would have been Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So I was born in eighty two. Uh actually I was born on May eighth, eighty two, which is, you know, that's cool. the five years after Barton Hall, whatever that kind of in history of whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and and day after billy's birthday but um the uh yeah so it would have been like 90 like when i hit middle school like so as a, as a little kid i was really into beach boys and uh like motown stuff i'd hear on the radio cool um, i grew up in kind of like southern ohio which is basically northern kentucky it's kind of more like you know so i listened to a lot of country music growing up as a little kid um, and then got into like kind of when you know middle school happened I got into uh, a lot of the like sort of like the the big name you know classic rock uh, 60s and 70s bands I got into like Zeppelin and I got into Pink Floyd and and around the time I kind of started hearing the dead too a little bit um, and also got into punk rock at the same time and also into disco so it was just a weird I don't know I was just always into like lots of different stuff um, but yeah, through that, yeah, I was already listening to kind of just like, uh, you know, just sort of like, it didn't go very deep, obviously at that point, cause it was only whatever, 12, 13, 14 years old. Um, but I remember there was actually around the time that Jerry died, there was a lot more in, you know, TV and culture and magazines and everything was happening, you know, for living in a small town in Southern Ohio all of a sudden it was in big in the media and I kind of got even a little bit, you know, started checking them out more. Um, and then it just kind of grew from there. I got the Mickey Hart book and that really like, it, it was, it was a pretty like pivotal time with that book and starting to play music and kind of, uh, at that age, figuring out what I wanted to do with my life in a way, you know, sort of like, uh, living in this town where it wasn't, I kind of knew I didn't want to stay there. Um, but I also couldn't really think of anything I wanted to do other than like nothing that, I mean, when I was younger, I, I thought maybe I wanted to be, uh, I was really into space. I thought I wanted to be an astronaut at some point. Sure. Uh, I was in, I was into, uh, when I was even younger, I thought I wanted to be like a puppeteer or like a Muppet. I was really into Muppets and like, <laughs> just like all kinds of weird. So it kind of makes sense. I guess like there's, there are elements of all of that in being a musician. There's like, um, maybe a little bit of a performance thing of being a puppeteer <laughs> and then so the exploration of inner space maybe exactly. instead of outer space but 
Exactly. Yeah, I was fascinated with um, with the whole weightlessness thing, and cool. the um, yeah, and and there there were certain elements of playing music, and especially something about like dancing on the drum set. That there's a certain if it's really if if the groove is right, if things are if things are are clicking in a certain way, there is a um, you sort of feel like you're levitating. There is a certain I don't know how, exactly how to describe it, but there's there's a certain um, yeah lightness to the feeling of of uh, playing music. You know, well, can be. when you've got, I mean, I, I play stringed things, so I'm just using my hands uh, and not very well at that. But when you're drumming and really into it, you've got both your hands going, both your feet going, and you're pivoting perhaps but you're you know you're it's it's all on your spine right you're just kind of you're upright and hovering right there on the stool uh billy spoke about this at one point in some interview and he talks about dancing and uh kind of becoming entranced by that dance as he's playing Uh, and of course you hear it pretty heavily in the early 70s stuff uh, when he's a soul drummer yeah, definitely. Yeah, and he plays. Yeah, and and they would do. You know, uh, Billy Mickey would do things where you know these entrainment exercises where they would really try to lock in and become one. You know, one. I mean, they talked about that a lot as far as you know. Yeah, they really tried to hypnotize one. each other or something. Right. Like right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's and it's pretty and yeah, it's kind of interesting because there's the um, there's an aspect of improvisation that I'm. I've kind of, I don't say always been interested in, but since pretty much since that around that time. Um, but then also this hypnotic, repetitive, groove based thing. And so in my time as a drummer, I spent a lot of time um, being interested in sort of improvised music and also um, most of my favorite drummers are really actually more. Um, that have something special about the the feel or their groove or a certain, um, so yeah, some, something that is kind of magical about the way they play one or two notes. You know, just just sort of the way that they can make uh, the feeling of music change, and it's all it's almost like a it's like some weird <laughs> like uh, wizard like you know powers to just make by the placement of their notes or the sound of it or the balance and everything to make something really simple uh, have an effect or an experience, create an experience for the listener. That yeah, um, uh, screams Levon Helm to me as, yeah. as a good example of what's what on paper seems like very simple rock drumming, but when you hear it, it's just got this this swing that is not, it's, you can't put on paper. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's that, there's a, uh, a deep, I mean, it's, it's really just, you know, every, every, every musician, no matter what they play, they, they have, uh, they're expressing a sound that they have inside of them kind of, you know, and it, um, yeah, with Levon, he definitely has a very unique, I mean, I've, I've noticed a lot of musicians play similar to the way that they talk, you know, that their, that their voice, <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, now I'm going to be self-conscious about the way I'm talking, but because uh, because I'm because actually when I, now, now that I've said that when I talk I tend to be kind of uh, like I say uh, a lot and I I sort of am choppy and I don't really have 
clear, but maybe that's why I play so much music because I don't feel as comfortable as, you know, speaking. But um, it, yeah, I, I hear in a lot of musicians, yeah, and I think about, you know, Levon has a, a voice, a very strong voice as a, as a singer and just his, his spoken, you know, his spoken voice and that, that, you know, beautiful accent. And then the, the way he plays the drums is very, is very unique. Certainly is. Uh, yeah, he's a probably an all-time, all-time favorite uh, yeah. singing drummer for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, uh, so I'm going to jump around a little bit because uh, sure. I've got just a bunch of a bunch, a handful of a little things I want to talk about before sure. we really dig deep on Grateful Dead for a minute. But um, you've got a jazz record that just came out under the the banner Ryan Jewel Quintet. It's entitled Vibration. I hope I got that exclamation point in there. Um, <laughs> so that was recorded some time ago, but it just it's just come out. Um, tell us a bit about that. I listened to it. It's really, really groovy. I'd, li- I'd like to play everybody a little bit of it, if that's cool. Yeah, sure.
Yeah, so tell me about this project and you know the impetus or what have you inspiration for it it i really dig it i played it for a few friends too and they they're really excited about it nice yeah yeah thanks um yeah it i guess it kind of started i mean i've always been a drummer which is kind of a a side person role you know a supportive role um and at one point um i was i took some lessons studying a bit with um this kind of free jazz drummer and composer named Susie Ibarra that I was really into. Cool. Um, and um, at that time, we would do some drumming things and some, it was more conceptual. It wasn't, I mean, it was a little bit of technique, but it was more kind of just, just concept things. And one of her uh, points of advice was to just kind of write music every day. And I didn't stick with that every day, every day for years, but it kind of got me thinking before that I had, I didn't really consider myself. Um, it's just, it was sort of a confidence thing. I didn't feel that I was qualified to, um, compose music or write, you know? And so, but, you know, gradually as time went on, I got kind of more and more, um, just kind of experimented with it. And, um, and then I would play with, um, you know, friends and some of them would be encouraging there was a friend of mine named Aaron Quinn that I felt was you know um, he's a guitarist and and writes really interesting music and he was always kind of really positive and encouraging when I would give him you know weird ideas that I had and um yeah and other and other people too along the way and what actually happened was around uh 2013 I guess I had a heart surgery and I was laid up in bed um for a couple of months after that heart surgery and so during that time I had a lot basically I had a lot of free time laying in bed and so during that time I started playing guitar um which uh, a friend of mine Dennis Hodges you know gave me some guitar lessons and as part of that that kind of came out as what is um kind of evolved into this Mosses project that I do which is another thing that we can maybe get to and then also oh, yeah. I, I did a lot of um kind of laying in bed with a little keyboard and and you know computer and sheet music and things and and worked on um i kind of had notebooks of like you know a couple of measures here and a couple of measures there and different ideas and sort of beginnings of pieces but at that point i kind of my whole life just stopped for a couple months and i had time to actually sit down and kind of just chart everything out and that's where most of the music from this from this quintet recording came out cool well it's yeah it's it's terrific i mean i'm not a jazz expert by any means but it really uh it's got great swing and good sound so i think people will dig it yeah thank uh, you, thank you. and so you mentioned mosses so let's go there talk to me about the uh talk to me about this new record it is coming out in september and it's called right. tv sun right you got that and it's i love it it's it's kind of out there it's got some nice kind of psych edges to it it's a little I, I i don't know i could throw a bunch of labels around but um why don't you tell us a little bit about it and then we'll play everybody a little sure um yeah that's i mean i guess it kind of a similar thing it it i um my kind of i guess my longer trajectory is that you know i was i was a drummer interested in being a drummer uh played lots of music and then i i had a period where i was doing a, a lot of really um, and I still I still do all this, but I kind of have 
periods where I emphasized different things. So I had a period where I was doing a lot of um, tape music, sort of like um, sort of early music concrete influenced type uh, recording things to tape, uh, manipulating the tape, and sort of making um, yeah, basically these music concrete um, compositions, um, and also doing a lot of extended technique percussion sort of things, really minimal um, electroacoustic music and, you know, this sort of like, uh, some people call it like lowercase improv kind of thing. Um, and it was sort of like working with sounds and organizing them in kind of a compositional way, but while improvising, sort of like, you know, real-time composition. Um, but it was all very, none of it was tonal. It was all very much... Um, taking non-pitched sounds and um, kind of organizing them in, in an interesting way and, you know, sort of doing clever things with them, I guess. <laughs> um, but, <clears throat> so I did that for, you know, years and, and listened to mostly that kind of music, kind of really immersed myself in it. And then I got an oscillator and I kind of got interested in, there, were, there was a little bit of maybe some drone or there would be some pitches, but it was you know, in that, in that style. Um, but it was less, it wasn't so much, you know, melodic or harmonic in a traditionally organized sense. So, um, I got an oscillator and I started playing around with just, you know, layering it on tape and kind of doing just still making sort of like droney electronic music with that oscillator. And around the same time I came across, uh, an Appalachian dulcimer. And so then I started getting interested in, I already played some tabla. So I was like, well, maybe I'll learn some some, you know, how to do some uh, melodic things on this dulcimer. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of the first things that I kind of called Mosses was this like uh, oscillator and dulcimer recorded to tape loops <laughs> sort of thing. Um, and then I had this heart surgery and got interested in playing guitar. And then it evolved and it evolved into kind of a, a more traditional songwriting type thing. Um, with also lots of improvising. I, I, I kind of thought with that heart surgery, it was like before that period, I was more interested in, I kind of, I don't know how to say it. Like I was, I was, I loved the music that I was playing, but I kind of took it a little bit too seriously and kind of overthought it a lot. I was, I would spend, you know, all day like thinking about, you know, these minute little change, you know, it was, it was very, it was a little too serious in a way. And then once I had that heart surgery, I, I kind of um, like lightened up a little, <laughs> maybe, yeah. and and didn't worry as much about. Uh, it was I became more open to um, just enjoying whatever music. Like I didn't worry about boxing things in as much or making such you know strong distinctions, um, and just sort of let kind of just open myself up and let every influence come in more. Um, you know, less in a less um, discriminatory way. Just sort of let everything that I, you know, if I like, yeah, just basically anything that I enjoyed from, you know, uh, the worst pop music to <laughs> the the deep, you know, to 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 you know, be that I could have Stockhausen and and uh, you know, Shania Twain live in the same musical. <laughs> so even though Mosses doesn't sound like any of that necessarily, it was just sort of that idea of like. It's funny, this, I was this definitely yeah. going to say it sounded like Shania Twain does Stockhausen. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. 
yeah but i think that that's what it was i think it was just something that that could be um a genuinely like an unfiltered um like creative outlet and and in some ways the quintet was too kind of that was a little bit more of me putting pen to paper and doing this kind of uh chamber music and kind of free jazz and there's definitely like a kind of a braxton influence anthony braxton type influence or like those sorts of of um you know working with improv structured improvisation and all that it's, it's still a little bit maybe yeah it's uh, i don't want to say it's more intellectual but like it, that came from kind of a more like tinkering tinkering in the basement kind of thing and then Mosses is a little bit more um, uh, kind of open to just my love of of all kinds of music for you know all of my life <laughs> without without worrying too much about what it necessarily is so there are element there's sometimes when it's a little bit more um, yeah I mean it, it all it's not all drastically all over the place but you know, like my favorite Beatles record is, is the White Album because it has, you know, Revolution Number no. Nine on there along with Sexy Sadie or whatever. You know, it's just such a drastically it's got range diverse. It's got range exactly. Yeah, and the Dead had a lot of records like that too, where they're just you know really beautifully all over the place, and it's, it's it feels creative. After a fair amount of time, a musician probably should have range. You know, it's uh, it, it's okay to be you know, expert in a narrow area, but I think the, the better musicians are, uh, expansive in their scope. Um, certainly the ones I, I spend a lot more time listening to. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. And it's, it, it really is a great record. Um, I'm not sure which tune to play for everybody, but I will say, uh, for the public record, I was really excited to see, that you named one of the songs after one of my favorite passages from Kerouac, the uh, "You Can't Fall Off a Mountain" bit when they're uh, climbing the uh, climbing the mountain in Dharma Bombs. Yeah, which I mean that rant that he gets on when he he's cowering in terror on top of this near the top of the mountain, just shy of the top of the mountain, and Gary Snyder has gone all the way to the top. And comes bounding down the mountain, just these great leaps and jumping into the skidding into the 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 pebbles, and then taking another leap and flying down this mountain. And Jack suddenly sheds his terror and realizes that you can't fall off the mountain, which is true and not true, as with most things. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it works for him, and he conquers the fear and comes flying down in this kind of uh, exultant manner that really saves his day and perhaps for at least a time, his life. Um, and yeah, that love that part of the book. And, and you confirmed for me uh, in an email recently that this was based on that. You uh, became a Gary Snyder fan from yeah. reading this. Yeah. I read that, you know, at, at some point in high school, you know, young impressionable age, a, same. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. And it was part of that whole, you know, that searching like, okay, do I want, what kind of life do I want? Do I want this sort of, you know, this, you know, a wandering creative life or do I want something more, a little more, um, focused and stable or, you know, so yeah, I was, I, that was, um, I read the book and I was, yeah, I particularly was interested in that, the Gary Snyder character. And then from there, you know, um, yeah, I had a couple of years where I read, read a lot of his, his books and his poems. I was really, 
Um, and I was interested in, you know, I kind of got in, interested in uh, meditation around that, you know, sort of around that time. Um, and yeah, it was, I found it really interesting. And so that phrase kind of has been in the back of my head for a long time. Um, and so it's not, you know, it's not particularly ab about that, but that, that phrase, uh, yeah, I just think is, yeah, pretty, pretty great. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and yeah, that led me down a bit of a path. It's funny. I, uh, I remember reading somebody loaned me. Uh, on the road and the Dharma bums at the same time. It's two, you know, I don't know what are they, Penguin paperback editions or whatever they were, and, right. and I read them in, you know, read on the road. I was like, oh yeah, okay, that everybody's right. This is pretty cool. And then I read Dharma bums, and I was like, well, this is the same book, but spiritualism, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> right? You know, right. and so that one spoke a lot more to me uh, at that time, uh, and yeah, I got bought Gary Snyder books after that, and. So, um, yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, it actually, still influences me. And, uh, at some point I end up writing such short poems that I, you know, I almost, I stopped writing. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're reduced down to nothing at all, which is, you know, how Zen is that? That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I actually share a birthday talking, going back to this May 8th thing. I share a birthday with, with Gary Snyder. And so I actually wrote him, he's a, he's a May 8th, uh, you know, birthday cool. as well, and and I wrote him uh, an email once on on his birthday. Um, it was you know wherever I forget where he was teaching in California at the time, and I wrote him an email and I said like, hey, you know, Gary Snyder, big fan, happy birthday, it's my birthday too, you know, uh, <laughs> enjoy your day, whatever, something like that, just sort of paraphrasing. And he wrote back it, to my to my memory, he wrote back almost immediately. It seemed like it was just you know within a half an hour or something, and said, great. He said it was basically it was great, happy birthday sign this petition and it was he was doing you know he was still doing kind of activist uh, environmental work in california it was a kind of a deforestation uh you know protection uh thing in california protecting the forests which i thought was super cool you know even yeah. into yeah he's just you know still active still doing still doing the good work he really is he's terrific so uh let's see chris gantry I want to ask you about this record that uh, you're playing on. Uh, what? How much? How much uh, work did you put in on this record? That was so. We both know uh, Jerry DeSica. Okay. Um, and so he he produces. He's. I mean, he's. Um, you know, for people listeners that that don't know him, there. You know, you can check out. Um, well, you're. You know. There's yeah, another he, podcast. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did an episode yeah. a while back that I might should know the number two if I were more prepared. Yeah, and he was yeah. great. And he did. We did touch on his production work, but I so I didn't realize he's produced this one. Yeah, yeah. So he's yeah. He's really you know one of my favorite songwriters, and and you know um, we've we've known each other for years. And um, for uh, yeah, he does he does some you know production work for. Um, for mostly other kind of sort of songwriter type, you know, type records. Um, and yeah, he just called me up. He's like, Hey, I'm doing this Chris Gantry thing. And I was like, that's awesome. That's super cool. And he just wanted me to do some percussion for it. So I actually did it. Um, I, I did all the recording for it really just like at home and just kind of sent the tracks in. So I kind of did it after the fact. Um, and it was actually really fun. He likes, it was done in a, um, to sort of capture it's, it's kind of a fun thing. It's like to to really capture the essence of, uh, 
you know, the to kind of not not mess with the the vibe that the songwriter has. It was, you know, Chris Gantry played these songs on an acoustic guitar and sang them live in a studio. And then um, I then they sent that to me and I played drums along with it. Um, and 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 I mean, all kinds of other little things. It was it was kind of a very, you know, I'd play like a guitar case or do like weird little. I don't remember what all I used on it, actually. I think I played Tablo on something and um yeah, weird little like bean shakers and you know just just little fun percussion stuff for it. Something it, basically uh, not just kind of going through it and just kind of just playing drums, but trying to match um, match the mood of each song with you know sonically and with the feel of it. Um, but it was it was interesting. It's it was fun as you know going back to that talking about the subtleties of of the uh, of a rhythmic feel. And we're talking about how, you know, Levon has a certain feel or, you know, these different people have certain things that aren't, it's not, uh, it's not necessarily like quantized. It's not like a, uh, a machine, you know, it's a, it's a living, breathing organism. And so, um, I sort of had to listen to the, the recordings and really listen, like kind of bend like bamboo and breathe and ebb and flow with, um, with Chris's right hand on the guitar. You know, it was a sort of this thing where it was like really following the, the phrasing of the vocal and following the, I mean, I'm guessing maybe I'm getting into this too much, but that, yeah. that, that aspect of it, it's kind of a technical way to think of it, but it was really this, um, that's my biggest kind of memory of the whole thing was, was really getting into the, the songs and really breathing with him because we weren't in the same room together at the same time. But if I, if I tried to be, say hey i'm the, i'm the drummer i'm going to play really <laughs> steady it's not going to work so i had to sort of um which again that it comes back to my interest like in so many different kinds of music i love doing a really kind of tight hypnotic groove but then also i love this you know like uh you know like milford graves is an extreme example and then levon helm was kind of somewhere in the middle <laughs> or right. you know this sort of thing where it, it's it breathes and it's human um and it's maybe not quite as hypnotic in the traditional sense, but it has so much, you know, organic. Um, yeah, there's just there's something really, yeah, beautiful about it that you can't, you can't. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's something real special about it. Hard to <laughs> quantify, and it's uh, it can be hard to put into words. But I look yeah, forward exactly. to hearing that. I imagine, um, you know. I mean, the only way to do that would be listening because I'm sure Gantry's not playing with a click track when he's sitting in a studio with his guitar and singing his songs. So, Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, I had to kind of just remember in a way. Like, I had to really just listen really deeply. And at certain points where the phrasing would stretch more than others, I just sort of had to kind of learn it that way. Like, really kind of remember, like, okay, here on this phrase, it really lays back and then... Then oh, then it gets a little okay, and then really breathe, and it's great because it's such a beautiful human thing. As opposed, to, I mean, a lot of records, things get a little bit too. And this is coming from me, who's someone who really loves. I mean, I love my favorite drummers are often these like, you know, kind of like studio sessiony people of of the uh, of the golden age of that. But um, there is something really beautiful about the the breathing. Uh, organic quality of, of music 
Yeah, you know, you mentioned the golden age percussionists. I think uh, I saw on your Instagram that you went to uh, somewhere. You were in California and checked out some of Hal Blaine's uh, percussion equipment or something like that in his studio. Yeah, that was. Um, yeah, that was in. It was actually in Tacoma, Washington. But, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it was. It was kind of wild. It was in L.A. I needed some uh, drum heads. Swung by this. Uh, drum shop to get the drum heads uh, and it was you know it was this place called Pro Drum which is has been there since the 50s and it's kind of been like you know the place in sort of Hollywood West Hollywood area for it's you know it's sort of just been like the spot in LA forever like the the drum shop and I was talking to them about um, just being a, a you know I was just being a big nerd and asking them about everything and <laughs> they mentioned that they had built uh, Hal Blaine's drum set one of a famous drum set that I'm interested in. And, um, he, uh, and, you know, I think I posted something on, on social media about it. And a friend of mine, Robbie Lee, who's a great multi-instrumentalist and he also plays flute and he plays, um, flute on one song on this Moss's record, actually. Um, oh yeah. On that can't fall off a mountain. Um, and he, um, he said, hey, I, he sent me a text or something and said, I know where that drum set is. You should go check it out. It's in Washington State. And I said, no way. I'm going to be in Washington in, you know, two days or something. So he hooked it up, and it's there's a, yeah, really, really cool recording studio there. And, um, yeah, I got to play, got to kind of play around with some of that stuff. And it was pretty amazing. The, the thing that was kind of really floored me was um, they had the – a lot of the small percussion instruments that and shakers and things that uh, Hal had had kind of built together or put together, and um, the I got to play the bells that are in the kind of the breakdown bridge of uh, Good Vibrations, which was wow. sort of like a really uh, yeah, just kind of a, a you know kind of like a chills down your spine thing for for someone whose first favorite band was the Beach Boys probably. You know, when I was five years old, um, I remember like, you know, uh, Christmas, you know, as a little kid, it was always the Beach Boys record was the Christmas record oh, nice. I'd listen to. So it was, you know, and then, um, yeah, just to, to be able to hold those and hear it up close. You know, I've had spent so many hours with headphones, you know, listening to my favorite records. And it was really cool to to just, you know, yeah, it was just kind of mind blowing. <laughs> it was like a, it was like one of those one of those. Uh, full circle peak moment you know life moments where it's like wow i've done all these things and and now i have this moment where i'm uh i actually get to play the thing you know the instrument that was so influential at a young age or whatever yeah that's that's just awesome yeah (laughs) so so now we're going to turn that corner and really i'm going to ask you uh about grateful dead you you talked a little bit about when you first got into them and you kind of got exposed to them in high school as uh right around when jerry passed um when did you i mean did you continue to dig in after that initial exposure or did you come back to it later or yeah i um it's kind of always kind of been around um yeah i started picking up uh records and um yeah, I th- I think I'm trying to think of like kind of chronologically what I you know I sort of I think I picked up probably one of the the compilations you know the skeletons in the closet or something was probably 
there, and then um, I know I picked up, I played a, I remember playing a show when I was like 16, and uh, I, I got the, um, it was in a record store, and we got paid, <laughs> the band I was in, we were like, you know, just teenagers or whatever, but we got paid in um, like store credit. And so I, I remember, I can't remember what the third, we got like maybe four, you know, three or four records. And I know I got uh, Terrapin, and I also got Mahavishnu's Intermounting Flame. I wish I could remember what the third record was I got. Um, but, so that's, you know, that was, you know, around then. Um, and then, you know, got into some of the commercially available. I remember for sure I listened a ton to the uh, Dozen at the Nick, which was, you know, um, and I just played that, especially the, the second disc of that, that was kind of, I think what really, which is funny cause it's a later, you know, it's a later thing, but it was just like so mind blowing, um, at, at that time. And just, that's where I kind of really, oh, and also live dead. I, I, I'd listened to what live dead quite a bit too, but there was something about the, it's kind of odd, but that, that one, the later one really was, was kind of, I do actually remember buying that and a Miles Davis record at the same, the same day too. It's really interesting actually. Cool. They kept, um, and then and then just kind of kind of got you know kept ex- expanding and and you know checking out live shows and found the archive and and Dick's picks and all of that and then uh, yeah and didn't really see I mean you know Jerry had already been gone but didn't really see any of them live until you know much 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 later but uh, well tell me about that who do what was your first dead related group if you can recall. Um, it would have been, it would have just been Dead and Company. Oh, wow. Just, just a couple, just a, you know, whatever it was a few years ago. Um, and then, and then, uh, Phil, I can't remember if I saw Phil before or after that, but roughly around, yeah. Sorry, there's no grading being done on your accuracy, so, uh. (laughs) Yeah, I think it would have been right after, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, because I got to see, yeah, because it was, uh, it was actually, a, it was at Brooklyn Bowl. I got to see, yeah, like. Oh, cool. A, yeah, a pretty, you know, really small room of nice and cozy. Yeah, that's, you know, Dead and Company has its merits, uh, but it is pretty cool to be able to go see Phil in a club. Right. And, uh, and, and he's really thrown it down. Did you enjoy, I hope you enjoyed the shows. Yeah, it was it was pretty moving. It was it was again it was one of those because um, I mean just so much. Yeah, just so many thousands and thousands of hours <laughs> of listening to recordings and just not you know I kind of had a thing that I kind of had that. Um, um, yeah, just like I kind of felt like I had missed it because Jerry had died when I was you know whatever thirteen or something. So. It, it felt like kind of a big deal to finally see because they're my favorite band, but but all of this, I just didn't. It just felt weird for, for some reason. I don't know. I don't know if it was just um, as I was just growing, and maybe it was part of that working in just music circles where it wasn't, uh, you know, it was like uh, not cool to be into the dead, even though they were my favorite band. And so it all sort of like try to you know uh, share their merits. Yeah, they're avoided, or you try to evangelize, and <laughs> right, and neither is ideal, right, because people don't necessarily want to hear it. 
Well, okay. you know, I'm glad you finally got to see something of the dead. I mean, obviously it's not the same, but the official position of Broke Down Podcast is um, it, it's you get what you get, you know. Right. We, we don't judge people for not seeing the Grateful Dead proper because, you know, that's that's a time that has passed. So. <laughs> yeah. So, well, um, what uh, what do you think we should play, everybody, of some Grateful Dead? I took a little bit of notes. Uh, I have a terrapin down. Um, I have uh, a note about Dozen. I'm not going to play any officially released material, but I could look in that that zone. Um, yeah. I probably won't cut drums out this time. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, that was part of especially that was a weird it was a weird era as far as the you know, that's when they started getting into I mean the beam was, was around and they were getting into um some heavy weird MIDI stuff in those. Yeah, days. some weird right, exactly, which a lot of people, you know, don't necessarily like that, but it's it's part of the whole just the evolution through the I mean that's one thing that kind of amazes me is that, you know, I've spent so much time with experimental music, but just to, to know that they were playing really large halls and playing, you know, I mean, where else in the world can you hear, you know, 20 minutes of really, really out stuff, <laughs> you know, yeah. for a, you know, an arena. And it's just, it just kind of blows my mind that that was such a, you know, a cultural thing. I mean, I, I, I kind of joke, I saw um, a Kiss reunion tour when I was in, <laughs> when I was in high school and, and, you know, it was like, uh, my parents were both into Kiss and we kind of went as like a family thing. Nice. And and the Gene Simmons bass solo, I I often joke and say that that was the best noise show I've ever seen because it was, you know, it was in, <laughs> it's just this you know a detuned bass, and you know lights and and the blood in the mouth and the flying above the stage and in a massive sound system, you know, with these crazy subs and and wow. you know and whatever I don't know ten to twenty thousand people in there or something. Um, and you know it's the same thing it's not the same thing but i mean just the um there are so many you know experimental music shows they're happening in in you know basements and and bars all over the the world you know this sort of like kind of far out experimental music scene and then it's cool to see that you know people at at that are playing to large large rooms having really just no fear to really just genuinely continue to experiment and improvise um that yeah that's that's what's just yes part of what's so inspiring about that band is that they they kind of never i mean they had you know good days and good days and bad but they were i feel like they were always it, it became more prescribed perhaps right. in the the latter portion of their career of, as the grateful dead but you know it's still there was some real gold and some real well real digging for that gold uh right on the, those stages uh, I, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm still a fan of drums. I, it's in fact probably it's one of my favorite parts of the Dead and Company thing is just the Billy and Mickey throwing down for 15, 20 minutes in the second set. Right. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, if you think of something else, we could something in particular specific I can put on. Um, you can let me know after the fact, or if if it's not in the top of your head now. Or, you know, I'll dig around and find something and uh, we'll get a little crazy. Yeah, yeah. I definitely maybe some of the... Um, maybe an early 11 would be oh. kind of cool. Um, maybe... Well, well, we'll figure some stuff out. Yeah, there's some... Yeah. Yeah, cool. 
find a good plan or something. I like Birdsong a lot. We, we'll, we'll find some stuff. We'll, 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 we can chat after this. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Uh, yeah, we can take it up on the on the internet mail. Um, yeah. But Ryan, thank you for taking the time to talk with me. And I think uh, I think folks are really <laughs> going to enjoy uh, both these new records. Uh, and I will try to put some links up. People can find them. And thanks again for coming on and keep just making great music. Uh, I will see you playing with your band or somebody else's band in due course, I'm sure. So I look forward to it. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jonathan. All right, so Ryan, obviously a great guy and an interesting musician. Uh, a lot of cool thoughts about the process of making music and jamming and creating. So the tune we played in the middle of the interview from the Ryan Jewel Quintet was Laser Tag. Again, that was from the album Vibration, which is available from Two Rooms Record. You could get that at ryanjewelquintet.bandcamp.com. Have a look for that. Now we're going to play you a bit from the upcoming Mosses album. This track is called MSR, and the album is called TV Sun, and it's available, comes out on September 20th. So keep an eye out for that. Check this out. Talk to you more in a bit.
Okay, as I said, that was MSR from Mosses. The album is TV Sun, and you can probably get that in due course at mosses.bandcamp.com. You can also keep an eye at Ryan's website, ryanjewel.com. I, I can't say that that track is exactly indicative of the rest of the album, as the album kind of ranges a fair bit. It definitely hangs together nicely, though, so please do check it out. Ryan's got a bunch of shows ahead with Riley Walker, followed by some September dates with Chris Forsyth. The Mosses album, TV Sun, as I said, is out on September 20th. And the very next night, Mosses will be playing a record release gig at New Blue in New York City with the Elkhorn Quartet. I'm not sure about who makes up the quartet, but the show promises to be a good one. Ryan also teaches. If you click on lessons on his website, ryanjewel.com, you can learn about his Great Circle Music Academy. There are online private lessons, workshops, and more. You can also find him on Twitter, at RyanJewelMusic, and on Instagram, at Ryan.Jewel. So, as you heard, Ryan and I did not manage to sort out what Grateful Dead we should play while we're on the call. He soon followed up with a list via email, and I've gone and assembled that into a nice little mix that should serve to get your mind right out of your body. We're going to kick it off with some 1968 Grateful Dead, February 3rd at the Crystal Ballroom in Portland, Oregon, Dark Star and a China Cat Sunflower into the 11. These are all very early versions of these tunes. Tempos are up and they are not particularly long. After that, we fade nicely into an excerpt of Sea Stones from 1974. That's October 19th, 1974 at Winterland Arena in San Francisco, California, and that will take us right on into a bird song from October 22nd, 1980 at Radio City Music Hall, New York, New York. Now, I should note that we've got a blend of some soundboard and some audience sources on this mix. A little variable in how they sound, but I think overall the audience tapes are still very listenable, if not outstanding. In fact, this next one is quite outstanding. Uh, playing in the band from July 21st, 1974 the hollywood bowl hollywood california that is a epic plan now it gets into some other stuff that we're not going to play for you so when the jam fade starts to fade into a wharf rat actually don't hold that against me we're going to actually swing way forward to february 23rd 1993 oakland alameda county coliseum in oakland california space into the other one with Ornette Coleman. Yeah, man, that stuff is just, it's groovy, it's out, it's a lot of fun. And then we're going to bring it right back to that July 21st, 74 show with a Nobody's Fault But Mine jam into playing in the band reprise. I think this mix is pretty solid. I had a good time making it, good time listening to it after the fact. So I hope you guys dig it. All right, so... Once again, you can find me on Twitter at BrokeDownPod, Instagram at BrokeDownPod, Facebook BrokeDownPodcast. The website is BrokeDownPodcast.blogspot.com. I know that's a lot to type. You can Google me and you'll probably find it. Anyways, check us out over there for the show notes, all the links to everything. And till next time, be well.
reflections of patterns Glass and dissolving In ice petal flowers revolving Late Indian velvet Recedes in the night of goodbye Shall we go
Sullen River crying near Not a word from out of seal Trouble I ring silent bell Beneath a shower of pearls in the eagle Wing palace of the queen
skimming through the little fields, I came across an empty space. It rainbowed and exploded, then the bus stop in his place. The bus come by and I got on, that's when it all began. Thank you.